Greetings, you're listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. My name is Pace, and I am the one red balloon that got stuck on the ceiling with making the famous song, Only 99 Red Balloons, as opposed to one, uh, even 100. <laughs> and, I'm nice. pa- and I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the red doorknob that despite never being able to open, still somehow allows Malcolm to get I like that one. <laughs> um, and I'm rich. Uh, and I am my favorite line from this movie. I'm ready to communicate with y'all now. So. Yay. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so we are joined uh, for you listeners at home by Rich Holloway, who is the youth and family. Uh, let me try this again. It's a, we have such obnoxiously long titles at Mount <laughs> Olivet Lutheran Church of Plymouth, which in and of itself is a long title for a church. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Rich, he, him pronouns, is the Youth and Family Faith Formation Director at Mount Olivet Lutheran Church of Plymouth. In addition to working alongside some of the best co-workers ever. Clearly he's not talking about me. But, <laughs> oh, absolutely yeah. he uh, is. Uh, but lives in Minneapolis with his photographer and potter partner, Jess, his 15-month-old baby named Sunny, and probably some ghosts. Mm. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yay. Uh, so, before we get into this one, I just want to say we never like give spoiler warnings on this show because it's kind of part and parcel what we do. But just in case you're one of those weird people who has not seen this movie, we will talk about the twist ending um, at the end. So just be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that movie, how have you all been doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I have this thing called mouse elbow, which is like tennis elbow, but for nerds. And I also call it a Ron's elbow because when I make the Ron's position, it also bugs me, um, which is a fancy pastor position for worship, for those of you who are not familiar with that fancy term. Um, so that's been fun because it makes it hard to type. Mm-hmm. But on the plus side, this week that we are recording is the Trans Rights Readathon. And so I'm doing my best to read slash listen to a whole bunch of trans books and then donate money. I chose the Kentucky Trans Health um, Organization for where I'm like sending sending my what I read, but or what I have pledged for what I'm reading. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about it. It seems like there's lots of people who are doing that. And I started with Cemetery Boys. So it's a book Ooh. with ghosts. Nice. I don't know. I'm feeling, I was like, this is a good choice. So many levels. <laughs> yeah. That's how I'm doing. Yay. Nice. How are yeah. you, Rich? We, uh, as you know, we, we've had, uh, um, 
an eventful 10 days. Sunny uh, came down with COVID. And so I, we were in kind of quarantine for 10 days. And quarantine with a 15-month-old is mm-hmm. a wild ride. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah, I, uh, we read lots and lots and lots of books um, and ate lots of good food and took a lot of naps. And now we're on the other side and feeling a lot better. But uh, feeling like, yeah. Coming back down to earth, which is good. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's rough, though. I mean, COVID is a rough period, and then having a (laughs) 15-month-old. Yeah. It adds adds another layer to it, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. I um, am still in my Star Wars Mm watch-a-thon, read-a-thon, whatever. So so I am... I just started The Mandalorian, so I'm watching all the Star Wars media in chronological order, including the non-canon stuff like droids and Ewoks and all that. Um, mm-hmm. But now I finally got to The Mandalorian, so I'm on the tail end of that, I guess, with um, only the basically the new TV shows and the sequel trilogy left. But I'm also reading quite a bit of Star Wars, so I just finished Tarkin by James Ascendo and I'm reading so, so I've been reading so much Star Wars too so I just feel like my life is consumed by Star Wars and I don't know why my brain won't let me <laughs> leave the Star Wars universe to do literally anything else so did you have you read the book there's a book that's the original it's either the original trilogy or the first movie but told from like everybody else's perspectives Yep, I'm reading that one right now. Uh, I love that one. From a certain point of view, is yeah, what it's yeah, called. Yeah, I read it for some reading challenge I did when I was in Minnesota, actually. Um, and I loved it. It was fantastic. Yep, yep. And they have one for the second movie, From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back. Ooh. And then in just a month or two, to tie in with the 40th release of Return of the Jedi, they're publishing one on Return of the Jedi as well. I need to so, wow. get those out from my library then. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. I love you, Libby. I would not be able to afford this <laughs> a Star Wars readathon I'm doing <laughs> without Libby. Yeah. But anyway. Gay public libraries. I've... Don't ban books. So in addition to being an awesome colleague and a youth and family person and all that stuff. Rich is also quite the cinephile, so I'm just wondering, have you been watching anything fun lately? Any fun new movies you caught? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I mean, it is particularly hard to catch movies at this point in life, but I did with the Oscars, right, mm-hmm. that just happened. I tried to catch a lot of those films. Um, so I, ju- I just watched. I did not want to watch Elvis. But I got Ooh. myself to watch it, and I actually was um, pretty <laughs> impressed by, like, the costuming was amazing, and uh, the lead was phenomenal. And um, I'm not an Elvis fan, but I came away like wanting to know more about Elvis, and so cool. I, I was like, "Oh, this is this is a pretty good, pretty good movie." Um, and then, so that was the last one I caught. And then, speaking about Star Wars, I mean. As much of a Star Wars fan as I am, I always try and make time. So I did catch the the latest episode of Mandalorian, which was great too. Yep, I'm um, watching the newest season. Nice, yeah, yeah, 
it's been, I, I thought it's been really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but probably the thing that I'm, I'm really glad that I, uh, finished was, um, the last of us. I finished mm. the season and in the horror vein, I mean, that's, it was, uh, there were a ton of jump scares in that show mm. and tons of, um, like, I mean, I'm kind of a Pedro Pascal, like <laughs> I'm, on a, I'm on a kick right now. And yeah. um, I thought he was wonderful in that, in that show. So I've been able to see some stuff and what I've seen has been pretty good. That's awesome. That's awesome. I definitely want to cover Last of Us on a Ubuntu at some point, probably when we do season 73 zombies. <laughs> I don't know. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get but, there eventually. Um, yeah. But we um, face this awkward transition, so you can take a shot for that. Uh, we ask this question of all of our guests, and so we are asking of you as well. Do you have a real-life church horror story? It can be supernatural. And it can also just be church people being shitty to each other, which happens quite a bit too. So <laughs> well, however you interpret that question, do you have one you would like to share with us? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I've been, I'm also a fan of the podcast too. And I've been listening to quite a few episodes and it seems like most of them are like when, you know, stories of people treating other people like crap. And, but mine is actually a supernatural one. It was, um, yeah, yeah, it's. I worked, uh, the first church that I worked at, um, had a sanctuary that was maybe a hundred years old, maybe a little more. So it, it, uh, it, it had some lore behind it. I would say when I came into the building. Yeah. Yeah. And people would, people would talk about it. You know, Mm -hmm. people would talk about that place and, and strange things happening. And I never really, um, experienced anything, but a couple years in, there was always a light. I working in children, youth, and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wednesday nights, I'm the last person in the building and shutting off lights. And um, there's always a light in the back of the the um, like choir loft that people mm-hmm. would forget to turn off. Mm-hmm. And I could have just left it, and I probably should have. But I was <laughs> like, no, we don't want to. You know, it doesn't have to be on all night. I can go do this, and I would walk through this empty. A lot of times dark sanctuary to go turn off this one light <laughs> above the choir loft. Mm-hmm. And uh, one time I walked in there and I heard as clear as day. I mean, it was it was so clear. The words get out, get. Out. Yeah. Clear as day. I left the light on that night <laughs> and I, <laughs> I walked out. But about I think like. Five or ten seconds later, I kind of just explained it in my head as um, a ghost that wanted me to have good boundaries and, mm-hmm. and said, get out, like, go home. You mm-hmm. can go home. <laughs> go spend some time. <laughs> so that's that's what I'm going with. But I like that. Yeah. <laughs> the ghost is very concerned about your boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was... Uh, it was a cool, it was a really cool church. And, but I, I, and I never had another issue. I mean, that same light was left on many times and I never heard anything ever again, but that one night I heard it so clear. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's my story. Wow. I love it. I love it. I, that reminds me of a story that I'm pretty sure I've told on the podcast before, but I forget if it's 
still on the podcast because we took down many of our first season episodes for Patreon. But uh, my ex was an organist. We were in a church choir loft in this big Catholic cathedral in Frederick, Maryland. And we were the only ones in the churches late at night because that's when we would, my husband would practice the most. And so I was reading for my, um, for school, he was practicing the organ, only ones in the church. Suddenly the lights went on and off a few times in the sanctuary and we're like, what the hell is happening? And it was really creepy, uh, happened a few times. And then finally we're about to go down to investigate when the priest walks in and was like, I thought I heard someone in here. I was trying to, and apparently he was in the sacristy, was turning on and off the lights, trying to figure out what was going on. So not actually a ghost in that case. All right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's... I was about to say what's with choir, choir lofts, but that makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, the movie we are covering today is in our ghost season, mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense, by M. Night Sha- uh, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, uh, came out in 1999. When was the first time you've seen this movie? I do not know for sure, but I think I saw it in high school. Congratulations, you do not have to drink. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> Emily has seen a movie. Um, I think I saw it in high school and total surprise ending for me at the time, for sure. Nice, nice. I was I was totally drawn in by Yeah, I I I'm I was trying to think of that and I don't know, but I I definitely associate this film with um watching it on like tnt or tbs or something (laughs) (laughs) it's like that and apollo 13 were the two movies that really i can't not yeah that was great um i can't not think of those two (laughs) (laughs) so i'm thinking maybe my first time watching it was on cable television after it came out like a couple years or something i don't remember going to the theater but um I wasn't spoiled, so it was. It, it couldn't have been that that long after it came out. Nice, nice. I sadly, I did see it in theaters, but I was spoiled mm. uh, of the mm. end. I think my friend group must have been talking about it or something. But I saw it in theaters. I really was captivated by it at the time. I must have been like thirteen-ish. I want to say when the movie came out. Uh, 14, 14 maybe. I don't know. I can't do math. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but like seeing the movie spoiled, like having it spoiled, uh, as we'll talk about, like it's very, the twist is very obvious in mm-hmm. retrospect. So the twist didn't quite get me the way it did a lot of my peers having seen it unspoiled, but it was still a very compelling movie for me. And I don't think I've really seen it probably since <laughs> then. So this was a nice. Return to the movie. Pace, I gotta ask, like, you're, because you told me you had this one spoiled, and this is maybe one of the most famous twists to any movie, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, what were the emotions? Like, have you let go of any sort of (laughs) anger? (laughs) Anger, or like, what what are you holding, or did you hold? that's a great question but like i've talked about this before in the podcast like i'm not a person that cares about spoilers to the point that like i'm a very 
anxious person. Um, and so when I'm going in to see a movie, I kind of do the old school thing of back in the day before spoilers became a thing in like the mid to late nineties of uh, readers, uh, entertainment weekly, all those magazines and stuff would basically print in their review of the movie, the entire plot of the movie. So you would know what to expect when you go to see it ahead of seeing it. And that's kind of how I, that's my, um, relationship with movies is like i want to know the entire plot before i go see it especially like who's gonna die and stuff like when it comes to like action movies like anything the marvel universe or something i like knowing like who's going to make it to the end so then it's more enjoyable experience for me instead of me just sitting there anxious like what the hell is going on the whole time and not really able to enjoy the movie in that case so because of that the mcu would also be a helpful one just to be able to follow the plot (laughs) well fair fair (laughs) But yeah, so so like I I've never had much of a hang up about spoilers, so I don't think I was that upset. I I just thought it was kind of cool going into the movie knowing how it would end, and then kind of getting to watch it with some people in my friend group who had seen it and some who hadn't, and mm-hmm. seeing the surprise of those who were were surprised by the end, and me like kind of the joy of knowing what was going to happen, but seeing how it would unfold. Uh, how it would unfold was something I did not know. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of cool to see how that was finally revealed at the end and stuff. So Mm -hmm. not holding on to any anger or hangups about that. (laughs) Good. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, yeah. I would have been upset. (laughs) (laughs) Once, once twists became his like thing, I kind of would go try to go into movies a little bit less informed than I do typically. So, like, I remember going in to see The Village, which is still mm-hmm. my favorite of his movies. A lot of people don't like it and mm-hmm. really enjoying the twist for that one um, and going in without knowing what it would be. Yeah, that one was creepy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll yeah. have to watch that one someday. I know. It's in almost like... Ish. Okay. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Speaking of his twists and turns, his background information is spectacular. Oh dear. You can take a shot for that one. That was rough. <laughs> to um, NB2 transition. Yay. <laughs> so I don't have much background for this one. Um other than something I found in Wikipedia, which I, when I was doing some research for it, I found this really interesting because it's not something I had thought of. But apparently all the clothes that Malcolm wears are items that he wore or touched the evening of his death. Hmm. So like his overcoat, his sweatshirt, uh, different layers of a suit, all stuff was stuff that he wore that final night before he was shot. Um, yeah. And that is cool. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering about that. I was, I was like, you're wearing different clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I was so, <laughs> I think I mean, we'll speak about this later. I was still, you know, hoping beyond hope that he's, you know, alive. And mm-hmm. I, I even in the second viewing, while he's wearing this sweatshirt that he wears at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, Oh, he's still got that sweatshirt. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I had to remind myself, I know the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. There's, I um, watched the behind the scenes. There's like a, with the behind the scenes and um, there's a scene that they have that, and they cut out the whole character. So you don't get it, but it's this older man and his wife had apparently died several years ago and he was really lonely and it seemed like he maybe had dementia and it was Cole's character, like Cole actually like doing what in the end of the movie he has called to do, right? Which is helping ghosts yeah. communicate with people alive. And apparently this guy's wife had like told Cole that she had kept diaries and hidden them. And the man had never known or found them. And so Cole, like, gets himself invited in for lemonade and then goes, like, digging around the living room <laughs> to find the vent where she hid the diaries <laughs> and then gives him the diaries. And then, like, a month or so, like, later, um, Malcolm comes back to see, like, and, and they connect that with a Vincent, with a clip on him, like, thinking about Vincent. And then he later goes back and, like, checks to see how this old guy is doing and this old guy's like having folks at over and they're like sitting at this table outside and hanging out and all of this stuff and he's just like doing infinitely better um because <laughs> of the because of what uh cole had done so i was like that's Ooh. that's an interesting one but it's it's more right like the stuff that got taken out was more giveaway than they necessarily wanted like it's a great scene and it's beautiful but it gives away the actual, yeah. like it, it, it hints more strongly than I think. Right. That's fascinating though. That's yeah. kind of cool. That was, that was the big thing. There, there were a couple other like extended scenes. They had a, an extended ending, which I thought was interesting. It was like hmm. the video playing more from their wedding. Oh, okay. It was not great. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Any other behind the scenes stuff? No. Oh, well, then we can get right into the movie. So we'll just kind of go through and talk about some of our favorite moments um, of the film or favorite scenes. Uh, I know this is jumping forward towards the end, but the scene in the car, goddamn, Tony Collette yeah. and yeah. Haley Joe Osmond are like such good at, like, mm -hmm. I don't know how anyone can sit through that with like a dry eye. Like they are... I don't know. Is that scene is like one of the best acted scenes I think I've seen in nearly any horror movie or movie beyond horror, even. Yeah, yeah. Tony Collette is just a phenomenal actress, and she, I'd forgotten that she was in this film. You know, I I don't know. Do either of you know where, where in her filmography this <laughs> is coming? But it seems like it's relatively early, and it's nineteen. She's just wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> just wonderful, and and you're right, Haley Joel Os Osmond. Like, what is he nine? His character is nine. I don't know how old he is. I think he's like maybe ten or eleven during the filming, yeah, but really still pretty young. young. Just, just phenomenal acting. Mm -hmm. Just phenomenal acting. But yeah, this was her breakthrough movie, a uh, Tony Collette's breakthrough movie. But she had been in a few things before, them. Mm -hmm. but because of this, like, she's kind of. Her name is associated with horror. I think even more so now after like hereditary and stuff. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. Yeah. That scene is just so powerful and so emotional. And um, 
you know, I introduced like during my introduction, I said, I'm ready to communicate with you now. And, and Jess and I were watching it and we both kind of laughed, you know, like, cause it's <laughs> such a funny way of saying it, but it's such a, uh, I don't know. It's such a, that's the crux of the film, right? Is yeah. the whole idea that they want to communicate with each other, but it's just so hard for so many different reasons. Um, and like, which one of us doesn't watch that and think of, communicating with our own parents and mm-hmm. and um how those things can get can be hard and it just is it, it's just phenomenally poignant and i just love the writing that that scene and mm-hmm. yeah i had a couple qualms with um the behavior of some of the adult men in the film mm-hmm. so i do have to say um malcolm pre-death malcolm <laughs> um when he has his like the conversation with his wife about like the patient where he's he's like remembering i think talking about vincent or something that is a hipaa violation you are not allowed to talk about your patients to your spouse (laughs) not okay bad psychiatrist psychologist therapist (laughs) also teacher Jeez Louise. Yeah. Do not yell at the child. He is clearly traumatized. You probably already know he drew that one creepy picture that one time. And now (laughs) he asks you not to look at him and you just keep looking. Rude. Right. Rude. And then you yell at him. Yeah. I have been yelled at by teachers. It is never okay. Yeah. Not okay. And that, I, like I said, I feel like I've only seen this movie a handful of times. And it's been a very long time since I've seen it. But as soon as that confrontation between Cole and his teacher was happening, and that whole stuttering Stanley scene, like, I remembered that so vividly. It's one of those, like, weird scenes. as like, I I remember so vividly. So it must have had some weird effect on me when I saw it as a kid. But Jesus. Mm-hmm. Ooh. That always makes me uncomfortable. We just did our Nightmare on Elm Street season last season, and there are so many like bad parents and teachers there, not believing kids and adding to the trauma of the kids. And yeah, yeah, it's always a cringe for me in horror. I did love that yeah. part of how Tony Tony's character, like every time, no matter what Cole did, like, you're gonna look at me or whatever, and she would be like, "Look at me, I love you, no matter what." I love like. I was like, way to go. Good parenting. Like, kid is freaking creepy and creeping you out. And you don't know what to do. And everything's overwhelming. And you're single parenting and all of those things. And still, good job. Oh, totally. She might be the best mom we've Have covered so on the podcast so far of all the episodes. <laughs> that seems great. Yeah. yeah. That school teacher, just to go back for it, was it was such an a weird writing written character because you have this really traumatic experience, you know, that you've just laid out, and then the only other time we see that character is at the end, and it's it's like he, he he's buddies with them again, right? And, and uh, Cole is like. Yeah, I know, you know, and they're just kind of, ha- they have this familiarity that you're like, would you really have that if, if 
this teacher just yelled at you and embarrassed you and and the answer is yeah no. it was such a yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. It's such a strange like we're trying to make this character not this terrible teacher that works at the school <laughs> that we already depicted them as yeah exactly <laughs> i i the other part of that scene that i find fascinating and a theme probably a theme that i feel through that film is that um sense that like the teacher is teaching one part of history and cole has like has seen it with his own eyes this darker side to the history mm-hmm. of the school that they hang people in the school and um and he says no it's a courthouse and like both are probably true from what we can tell right mm-hmm. it was a courthouse mm-hmm. also hung people there and um how do we like we we see that so much in ourselves and in the wider culture of trying to take what we've done collectively or done by ourselves and like put the best light on it and Cole's a kid growing up in that being like but I see I see what Mm -hmm. I can't unsee what's happened um and it's like this example of another adult letting down a child being like let's not have a uh, you know, a, an honest talk about what has happened. Let's just yeah. say, let's just talk about the good stuff. You know, let's just yeah. talk about this place in a good way. It feels very much relevant in this particular moment that we are in, in this country with like yeah. Florida going so far as to remove Rosa Parks race and reason for not giving up her seat on the bus um, from yeah. the teaching of that story that history at all and like there's there's the like erasure of harm and violence which is super problematic and like we don't give kids credit for the fact that and pace and i have talked about this um because pictures kids stuff all the time and creates curriculum for kids right and that like you can explain pretty much everything to a kid if you put it in, like, you can teach it at their level, right? And I had, like, I had professors who would talk about how they taught their kids. And, like, if Black kids are bearing the brunt of racism from birth, right, if they are having to have conversations at the age of three and four about why kids are saying things, then white kids can have those conversations, too. Like, we yeah. can have those difficult yeah. conversations. Kids are more ready to have them than we give them credit for. And also, like, false binary on the, like, it's a justice system, people were hanged. Both of them, right? Like, right, right. That's not even it that may- particular, like, binary is not even a hard one to bridge. Like, yeah. It makes me think of, so I, I, in, I just finished reading um, Queer History of the United States by Michael Bronsky, and he quoted Rat Brown when Rat Brown said that violence is necessary. Violence is a part of America's culture. It's as American as cherry pie. And just thinking of the ways that like state violence mm-hmm. is one of the core expressions of the judicial system. Mm-hmm. And so like, if it's a courthouse, of course there's going to be like violence associated with that. So exactly what you're saying, Emily. Like it's, I, I don't understand the teacher. Like, no, it's a courthouse. What do you think they did to the criminals, dude? Yeah. Right. 
Bro. <laughs> Brother in Christ, figure your shit out. <laughs> your teacher. Yeah. <laughs> what did you what did you all feel about um how this movie was set um from all the set pieces where I, I felt like there were an abnormal I mean I think it was by its design that there's a lot of shots of Cole on his own or mm-hmm. Cole and Malcolm together, but you're in a public spot, but it also doesn't feel public. It feels mm-hmm. like like a pandemic era city almost, you know? Yeah. Like it 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 and it's Philadelphia as well, rich history uh, in in America, very definitely very like um, nuanced history too, like we were mm-hmm. just talking about, and so I I, I want how do you all feel about it being set in Philadelphia, and did you and those kind of aspects of being secluded in different scenes? Yeah, yeah, I feel like um, M Night Shyamalan. Most of his films are set in Philly or Philly suburbs, and he has this way of showing the city as uh, like the setting as horror as kind of using the setting itself as this place that is ominous and builds dread. And this is something that comes up a lot, a, a lot in ghost movies, I think, cause we were just talking about this in our changeling episode and, mm-hmm. and shining last season. So like, it, it's just so interesting. And, the juxtaposition of Philadelphia meaning brotherly love and then our city of brotherly love and then how isolating it feels is just very interesting. And of course, kind of ties into the history of Philadelphia, especially some of the uh, riots and uprisings that have happened in its Mm -hmm. history and stuff like that, especially over racial issues and stuff. So which is also weird. Uh, uh, sorry, just which is also weird because of M. Night Shyamalan's not great track record with including people of color in his films, even though he is. Uh, yeah, the movie is really person white of color himself. For Philadelphia. Yeah. So. I did not realize it was Philadelphia because I don't pay attention. Um, and then as you're like saying it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense why they would say those things and do those things. Um and I've lived in a variety of different cities, not Philadelphia, but like I live in Baltimore right now. Um, I went to seminary in Chicago, like, and there's like two types of city living, right? There's the like big fancy high rise, whatever. There's a person at the door to let you in and out, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's the like pockets um, and Baltimore is mostly this because Baltimore is like all row homes, right? Where there's maybe two two floors, um, maybe three if you count the basement, right? And so it's it's more neighborhood feel, um, which is the feeling that I got from the movie um, when I was in Chicago, right? It's more Hyde Park neighborhood and less downtown Chicago in the feel of it, um, which made a big difference for me because if something is towering over me, I need it to be mountains because I'm from Colorado and that's how life works. Um, (laughs) But so it made sense to me that like, it wouldn't be super duper crowded and that like didn't, didn't connect. 
And as you're saying it, I'm like, oh, yeah, right? It's the little subtle things that just exacerbate or exaggerate what is already like the seeds that are already planted. I mean, it is obvious that Cole is so very alone in what he is feeling. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was a great transition, Rich. See, this is what happens when we have somebody who's not non-binary on the podcast is it can help us facilitate better transitions. So, um, but that's into our theological dive. Um, so, because I do think like the fear, the realities of isolation stuff is definitely a recurring theme here of mm-hmm. being alone and not believed and the harm and trauma that causes and also the ways in which Cole copes with that in, in ways that are accessible to him, even before he starts um, meeting with Malcolm, like how he has this little home altar of sorts of various saints and other symbols of protection, like knights and stuff that he mm-hmm. keeps in his tent as a way to keep himself safe. And uh, I just thought that was cool. And, uh, cool and also just love the home altar practice which is something that a lot of protestant christianity has lost um but is part of some of the orthodox and catholic christianities around the world and global christianity i was gonna say and also just indigenous spiritualities well yeah it's part of many spiritualities beyond christianity it's just christianity protestant christianity kind of Swept that away. (laughs) Speaking of Protestant Christianity, I thought that there's one line where Cole is talking to Malcolm and he's like, you're nice, but you can't help me. Mm. And I was like, ah, niceness, which as our (laughs) listeners may or may not recall, I think being nice is a sin. Um, And when I say nice, I'm talking about like Midwest nice and the passive aggressive nice and the nice that little girls are told that they have to be, which really is just code for don't stick up for yourself and don't don't allow conflict and don't allow conflict to happen and like all of that stuff. So when it's like, you're nice, but you can't help me. Mm, there are so many people who are nice and supremely unhelpful in the world. <laughs> and it's just like, yes. yeah, like there is more that needs to happen. I remember as a chaplain, like anybody can show up and hand somebody a box of clean when they're in grief because of trauma. But like as a chaplain, your job is to do better than the baseline of what somebody would do and to help on a deeper level. Yeah. 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 I think that's right on. I, I, um, I think we were talking at church, maybe, I don't know, a couple of weeks, month ago or something about civility and, and, um, I was just using the word civility, but it's a lot of like what you're talking about with niceness and how it's just the culture that, um, speaking for myself, like I grew up in is civility at all costs. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, what is the price of civility? And it's exactly what you laid out. Like it's, it, it costs so much to so many people. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, that line is particularly like, um, hits you, you're nice, but like, you can't help me. Um, yeah. It just hits that home. I wonder if Malcolm grew up in the Midwest. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> could be, could it be. also might be a white people trait. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I do think this is, I think, something that 
maybe I think Rich, you put in the notes somewhere, but this idea of like a benevolent therapist ghost (laughs) (laughs) is like really awesome. Like Malcolm has some issues and is not Mm -hmm. a million percent the best therapist. Literally no one can be like that is an impossible Mm -hmm. standard. Everyone's going to mess up at some point. Uh, Everyone's going to mess up at some point, but like, what a gift to both Malcolm and Cole for Malcolm to have this space like and and that's why he's holding on right he's holding on because he can't let go of what Vincent said right before he killed him and then what a gift for Cole who is stuck in this place and doesn't have somebody to help him work through what is going on that is extremely traumatic in his life um and just how weird it is like the film almost seems to imply that all mental illness can be cured and if it can't be cured then clearly the child is talking to ghosts since (laughs) since cole and also um (laughs) and also vincent yeah (laughs) we're like both having ghostly phenomenon and that's the only reason that they weren't able to be cured of their yeah yeah um, right which which feeds the <laughs> and it all feeds right this stigmatization of mental illness as like particularly with vincent as scary and dangerous and violent yeah and, like, for sure the truth is that people with mental illnesses are more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrators but it is it just and this was 24 years ago wow 24 years ago i didn't think i'd be that person where like i got old enough to be like wow i just aged my i just dated nope i just did it um like 24 years ago but still so frequently there is just this trope of the like dangerous mentally ill person and it's like Mm -hmm. that is not helpful that doesn't help anybody get therapy get medication get help like it just doesn't help and it feeds into the violence of police against people with mental illnesses and like all of this that just harms people yeah yeah there's also um this really interesting theology of prayer that tony collette shares Mm -hmm. in this kind of table Mm -hmm. talk conversation she has with cole where she's talking about how she's been praying and praying and praying and nothing's been happening so she feels like it is time for or she thinks that maybe cole and her can answer each other's prayers and uh i don't want to make it a god helps those who help themselves kind of point because that's not at all um this but there is this interesting thing that barbara brown taylor writes about in um one of her many books about how prayer the risk of prayer is when you pray god might choose you to answer that prayer so whenever you pray you are putting yourself at risk to be part of god's plan and so i thought that was a kind of interesting connection there um and i kind of like that notion of prayer yeah i also i also picked up on that line of i've been praying i must not be praying right we're gonna have to answer each other's prayers and the other piece of it right is not we're going to have to be our own answer to our own prayer but we're going to have to answer each other's prayers that like that's the other piece like when you pray you're opening yourself up to being part of god's plan but also there is this opening for someone else 
to help answer your prayer. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not God like sends that person, but like that there are more ways than just to answer and to be the answer. But yeah, I like that. And there, she just has like this really, I think if I were thinking about God as mother, she would be a really solid example. Yeah. Like she is faithful. She cares. Mm-hmm. She wants to protect. Even when she doesn't understand, she recognizes like the full humanity of her kid in the midst of things that are not okay. Good mother God. Yeah. Yeah. Even, I mean, even right away in the beginning of the film when she, you know, they do that kind of cool tracking shot where she walks out and she's doing the laundry and then she walks mm-hmm. back in all of the, <clears throat> all of the drawers and cupboards are open and he's just sitting there and are you looking for something? I mean, just the patience <laughs> that that yeah. she has in the middle of doing these a million things um, that every parent knows, like um, that's that's a patience that I love seeing God in. Is this mm-hmm. idea of just like, hey, what what are you looking for? You know, <laughs> like hey, you saying that. I see you're opening up more <laughs> oil drilling spots. What you doing? Yeah. <laughs> 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 no i i love the idea of of her as a like a mother god because it, it just is i mean she's a wonderful actress in that film and just the the range of emotions that she just does really well in mm-hmm. that whole mm-hmm. all those scenes are just wonderful so i feel like we need to show emily hereditary so they can get a lovely picture of Tony Collette as a mom that is not quite as divine yeah. and showing forth motherly love and stuff like that. So. Oh, joy. I can't wait for that. <laughs> so, Personally, I find that a much scarier film. So, <laughs> I, okay, I, we are recording this before we've released any of our ghost season. So you do not yet know this, Rich, but... Mm-hmm. I actually really like ghost movies and they're more mystery than horror for me. So I'm just yeah. like, we just got to figure out like yeah. why this ghost is not like settled. Like what is it that like what truth yes. needs to be revealed? What discomfort and stuff needs to be resolved? Like all of that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, let's figure it's the chap. It's the hospital chaplain to me. I'm like, yeah, let's see. Like <laughs> let's, let's process this. Let's see what's going on. <laughs> So I'm like here for the ghost season and I, I don't know, maybe I'll be scared at some point, but so far it's like, no, this is like a mystery. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm more along the lines. If if I have always said like my love for horror very much skews to like this um, sense of figuring out a mystery. And I, I, I just find a lot of, um, I don't know, like just, almost in a weird way comfort and mystery because it's just like sucks me in and i like it just focuses me on that one thing and um and i lean way more to that side of horror than uh like blood and like even though halloween is one of my one of my more favorite horror films but like like those um yeah i i like the mystery so much more so yeah yeah. Body horror is not my thing. That is what we yeah. learned in Nightmare on Elm Street season. <laughs> yeah. 
And then Pace is over here and is like, I like it all. I know. <laughs> Just watch anything. Bad, good, trash, it doesn't matter. I love all horror. Um, anything else that we have for our theological deep dive before we move into some ghost lore? Um, there's something about Red, right? I remember sometime when I first watched it, there's something about Red in the movie and it means something and all i have is the red doorknob and that red is the color of the holy spirit for liturgical and neither of those are like telling me what i'm missing yeah when red shows up in the movie it shows up a few points like the red balloon the red door handle a few other places it has been described as um by m night Shyamalan as basically calling attention to some big emotional or horrific event about to happen so that's what the color red is used to signify in this film um but i also like the connection of it as like red as the holy spirit cover color and how in a lot of churches they used to paint the doors red as Mm -hmm. a kind of connection to that too so and sometimes she does warn me when things are gonna when shit's gonna get real <laughs> I had this um this thought of uh it was in the scene um when Cole is talking about um drawing the picture of the man mm. getting stabbed in the neck with the screwdriver mm-hmm. and it's early on and like Malcolm and Cole are still building trust and um and and the 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 school's reaction, right, was to get him in trouble. Like, because Malcolm asked him, "Have you ever been in trouble?" and and mm-hmm. Cole's like, "Yep, I did this, and it got me yeah, in trouble." Yeah, like, um, step forward, step back thing. Step forward, step back. Yeah, yeah. And um, I found it interesting because, uh, like, when I think about the theology theology that I work with in my job, one of the biggest things that I I I guess want for youth um, is that they come to church or be a part of this community. And it's one of the only places that they don't feel like they have to come with um, prepare, like something prepared or expectations put upon them that they just show up. And um, like, I don't know, right or wrong. Like should Cole have gotten a, (laughs) like a, should 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 it get attention that maybe Cole drew this picture? Maybe you know, like maybe that draw needs attention. Um, I don't know if it needs to for him to get in trouble or not, but like, just it made me think of the sense that um, this is what Cole's going through, mm-hmm. and it's very real, and um, he's bringing it to a place, and 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 just putting it out there, right? And mm-hmm. um, it's kind of well very much in a way set like shut down and been like no yeah. it is made we clear don't that do that this. is not okay like we don't do it paint your paint your rainbows and he does right he's like mm-hmm. I, I i draw rainbows now and they don't call meetings for rainbows and i i i've i think that's huge when working with human beings but with kids that uh you, you just say this is a place where you come and be and bring whatever, whatever ghosts that are like around mm-hmm. you, like bring them and, and let's sit with that. And um, 
I just kind of felt myself like hoping that for Cole through the film. And I mean, it, it kind of comes in like towards the end, but it's in a different way. Um, yeah. I think the, that space of like, yes, I, I do think that Cole should have gotten some attention for what he drew. Mm-hmm. Like there, there should have been a meeting or something, um, but not to get him in trouble, right? Like, there are so many different cases where there are kids who cause harm to other kids in ways that are completely age inappropriate, right? Like there is a way to like cause harm that's like still not okay, but like age appropriate. But whenever it's age inappropriate, which is what is Cole is depicting, like there is always something else going on. Like that kid did not right. make up that harm out of nowhere that kid did not make Mm -hmm. up how to harm somebody else in that particular way out of nowhere somehow harm happened to them somehow they were exposed to something in a way that was not age appropriate um and that was not okay and so like i do think yeah have a meeting about that but then also like yeah let's have a meeting about rainbows because we should also be talking to kids about queer stuff (laughs) yes exactly because because i also think like if all a kid is doing is the pretty stuff are they have they already gotten the message that they can't do talk about something else or like no kid has a perfect life we live in like late stage capitalism the fall of the world everything's broken we're in the year four of a pandemic that's never ending and now Mm -hmm. completely gaslit by the governments who are pretending like nothing happened no kid is okay right now. So if they're drawing rainbows, they're yeah. not telling you something. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, and there's so many points where I, I just, I, I really liked. So one of the reasons that this film is, um, it actually got better for me with a, like, I actually think it, it, it grew in my book, even though it's less scary, but one of the, I, I just love the character of Cole. I just mm-hmm. love, I love how, Haley Joel Osment plays them and I just think there's so many lines that he delivers in a way that are so poignant and one of them was uh, he says how can you help me if you don't believe me and mm-hmm. to what you were saying Emily like it's it's just like uh, it's a simple idea that if so many of us could actually put into practice on a daily basis that when someone comes to you and tells a truth about themselves like believe them and mm-hmm. and uh and Cole puts that so like perfectly clear mm-hmm. you can't help me unless you believe me like how are you going to do that and it's it's just a beautiful moment that is very clear and is just pure truth mm-hmm. spoken from a you know fourth grader so I think that means we can move to our ghost lore section, though. So mm-hmm. for our mini seasons, we they're themed to a certain supernatural entity. We try to keep track of the themed. <laughs> well, we've only had mini seasons intentionally themed so far. Oh, I guess our maxi season on okay. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street we've was unintentionally that, themed. Which yes. is not intentional. They just happen to all have <laughs> dreams in them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be kind of following along with the ghost lore and seeing what uh, spooky stuff shows up with the ghosts as we go. <laughs> so 
this one I got a few things that it adds to the lore. Basically, ghosts can imprint on something like a fingerprint. So when something traumatic happens in a traumatic death or something like that, it kind of imprints onto that place uh, some lasting remnant of the ghost or its trauma or death. Also, we get the unfinished business, which is a reoccurring theme among ghosts. And ghosts only see what they want to see, mm-hmm. which is a, and people in general, but it brings in this really interesting notion of if you watch the movie from like conscientiously from Malcolm's perspective, how does he take so long to get to the realization yeah. that he is a ghost? Mm-hmm. And then you remember, well, maybe he's having these weird, like, ADHD time dilations, like, <laughs> I have all the time, where suddenly I look up, it's been, like, 30, it's been, like, three hours, I'm like, holy cow, or something. So, so it just, like, it just kind of brings, like, oh, maybe that's what's going on there, or something. Yeah, I was thinking about that ghost sense of time, that, like, it is, I mean, we know from Doctor Who that time is a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey ball of stuff stuff um but yeah the stretch and the like the appearance and disappearance um it also had some like inception vibes right like you don't know how this mm-hmm. scene started so is it a dream inside a dream inside a dream that whole thing <laughs> did you have you ha- did you have a ghost lore rich i was thinking um and i actually i i wanted i wanted to pose it more as a question to to the both of you as as you go along in your season on ghosts i'm curious to see if this uh, i was reading a like a review of of this film and mm-hmm. the reviewer brought up this sense that it's a like kind of a trope that children are more susceptible to ghosts because mm-hmm. they don't have the skepticism yet mm-hmm. that adults have to write it off yeah. um and with like and, invisible and- friends that just like yeah dovetails yeah. really well right right i mean in some ways like i don't know how i feel about it i i mm-hmm. like one it's like in this movie cole is very aware and very scared like these are not mm-hmm. uh, most of them are very very frightening to cole and it's terrifying to him um but like i think of my own son sunny like seeing if if he were to see a ghost anytime now like everything's new to him so i don't know whether he would like he probably wouldn't think it's anything this is like just a new weird thing about the world you know yeah and so he can accept it more and um i don't know i i'm i'm interested to see see, like and kids are adaptable right like that they roll it might come back later when they realize what it actually was as like adults who can like process differently, but like kids will roll with stuff that's really traumatic, but it's still like so much of the world is new to them that they just think everything they experience is like the normal thing that everybody experiences. Right. And so if you have like a kid who gets kidnapped, like, they in those moments like they're rolling with it they don't know it's not normal to be stolen from their parents right like they might still be upset about being like removed from their parents or whatever but like yeah they they just roll with stuff so much more readily than adults right. do right. or like right that reminds me one of my friends just introduced him 
me to one of his children and he said I, he said hi i'm i'm john don't ask me to get into your car i won't come with that was <laughs> that's brilliant I was like, like, okay. yeah that's great <laughs> that, that works like yeah <laughs> um yeah but I'm, I'm curious as you go along this year yeah. you know in the movies are there are there this trope of children seeing ghosts right. how do they how do they experience it yeah if we start with the shining which kind of was a intentional preview of the season we've watched the shining changeling and this movie out of two out of those three have a kid that is seeing ghosts and so i mean i already feel like it's building into that trope pretty yeah. well and the third yeah. and even the changeling had that girl with the dream was a ghost yeah yeah oh that too <laughs> yeah so. Yeah, I think the other <sighs> the other piece of ghost lore that stuck out to me was like in this in this film the ghosts can interact with the material world kind of like Malcolm can't always open the door but like when his wife is getting a hug um, from the guy he breaks the window or like that space I I did think it was really interesting the space of sleep. Where and that like kind of goes with the the kid trope is spaces that sleep is the space where your mind is most open and vulnerable, um, mm-hmm. and that also goes with our last season. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the place where Malcolm actually gets to talk to her and tell her that yeah. she loves that he loves her, um, and she sets it back and like that. So I thought that was that's also an interesting way of creating space for communication that is not the seance trope. Hmm. Truth. Truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we can move into rating the film. And since this is our Ghostbusters go season, we're rating it out of 10 proton packs. <laughs> so <laughs> out of 10 pro t- there, there's not really any kills here, but there are like some creepy ghosts that like favorite ghost show how they died in some way. So you could, put that in there if you want instead of a favorite kill but how would you rate this film and do you have a favorite end i guess to a ghost person thing favorite favorite kill slash ghost yeah there we go (laughs) what do you think rich oh man okay so rating it and favorite both okay i think well Okay, I would have said my favorite ghost, and it, it would, this would be a deep track because I don't think <laughs> many people would pick this one. But it's the split second, the biker. Uh, I just remember <laughs> that when I when I was a kid. That one freaked me out the most. Yes, like, that's the one that did. Me. I think it was just cut away, like boom, they're there, and then they just walk away, and you see them for literally a second. Yep, um, that one's. I remember so, jumping at that one when I was a kid. I didn't yeah, jump this time yeah. or anything. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't either. And I think it's because I knew, like, I was like on edge. I'm like, it's coming, and I couldn't remember at what point in the movie it came or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but like, I do. I, I love the character of the ghost of the little girl. I thought that was. Um, I, I, mean, I just I mm. like. I like that Cole has like. It's very frightening. Cole runs away, but then Cole gets this, like, wave of bravery to go back and be like okay i'm supposed to start mm-hmm. um like i, I want to start communicating with these ghosts yeah. so. i'm curious 
Yeah, being curious. And then proton packs. I so I would have totally put like this in my like, yeah, it's six cents. It was had a good twist, like six, seven range, but I'm going all the way up to an eight out of ten proton Ooh, packs for this nice, one. Nice. I think it's just as a delightful film that um that there's there's a lot of depth to it and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the acting just holds up, I think. Even I'm not a big Bruce Willis fan, and I thought he played just the straight. There's nothing fancy about it, and I thought that was the way he should have done it. Yeah, yeah, he was not terrible. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) He is not my favorite, but he's also like not my least favorite. So I'm like, yes, he's a cishet white guy. Like he played a cishet white guy who just happened to be dead. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, what about you, Emily? Um, okay. My I think Proton Packs this is hard because I actually have like the nostalgia to like nostalgia for me almost always will bump up a rating. Um, but I also have liked this conversation and Haley Joel Osmond. Like, this is the movie that I first encountered Haley Joel Osmond and I loved Haley Joel Osmond. Uh, so I think they're not going quite as quite as high as you, Rich, but um, I'll give it a seven, like seven proton packs nice. feels about right for me. Um, nice. And and my favorite kill slash ghost um, is probably Grandma because she keeps stealing the mm. bumblebee brooch and opening all the cabinet doors, and I'm just like this is adorable ghost ever <laughs> so grandma ghost grandma's a great Aww. choice and the only yeah, is, yeah. is is grandma the only other ghost that's like benevolent are all the rest of them pretty scary to him at first or projected to be pretty scary i think so. i think most I think of them so. seem really scary at first except for malcolm yeah right right what about you pace i will rate this a seven proton packs, mostly like it, there's still things that are amazing with it, but it's also I don't know what it was this time. I was just so bored through this watching of this movie. I don't know why, <laughs> um, but still that said, like it's a very well shot and well acted movie. Um, and I love a horror movie that also has a message in it. And so the message of do not play with guns <laughs> and that ghost, I, yeah, important message. Don't play with yeah. guns. Leave. And parents who are guardians of children with weapons, make sure they're locked up. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, I did not jump. So I don't know if anybody <laughs> else jumped at all. Rich, you said you didn't jump. I don't think I did. Yeah. No jumps I mean, this time. I mean, again. Yeah, the first time I saw it, I was yes, the first time everywhere. Definitely jumps this time. Yeah, no jumps, no jumps. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any projects or anything you want to promo, Rich? It's okay if you don't. Or where can our guests <laughs> or where can our listeners find you? No, I, I mean, I just want to say thank you for having me on, and uh, you two are very lovely to talk about movies with, and um, big fan of the show. Uh, so just keep it up. Uh, there, I'm working on the project of just 
continuing on at church and and parenthood and all that good stuff. Um, and you can find me at uh, not really on social media, but you can find me <laughs> at church with with Pace, hanging out talking yep. about movies. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> He does have a letterbox now. Not sure. Yeah, that, that exists. I have a letterbox um, too. I'm just not updated. Yeah, I know. Neither of you. Everybody I get to join Letterbox will join it. Put like three or four <laughs> movies they watch on it, then never touch it again. So, so like, how am I supposed <laughs> to remember to do it? When do I do it? If we, yeah, if you yeah. like, if part of our like watching a movie was also me getting on Letterboxd and like putting it in, that's it for me though. Yeah, but I need somebody to be like Emily. Don't forget to Letterbox it, and then I'll be like, oh, and I'll do it while like the intro credits are going. Yeah, just... this is exactly me too. And then I get behind, and I'm kind of a completionist about this pace, oh, a little bit like you. So then I'll. Then I'll be like, oh, if I go on Letterboxd, I'm going to have to log 15 movies. And then yeah, it just feels like too work. Much. Like I got to, yeah. yeah, I got to put over for the couple <laughs> <of> hours. <laughs> and I feel like I got to say something about them. And then, and then it's just, yeah. Really what, good, it, so. what it is, is we need um, Horror Nerds at Church and Nerds at Church to get enough Patreon supporters that we can hire somebody to do all of the social media stuff and they can input it. For us, there you go. Gosh, there you go. Pace is like I'm already, I'm already single-handedly running horror nerds at church's letterbox and my own. <laughs> so I feel like this is just a. I know. So that would Emily like... can suck it up, problem. No, but that would also alleviate some of your work. See, I'm thinking of both of us. Okay, here. okay, okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yes, please, please, listeners. Though check check horror nerds. We don't shout it out enough. Also, so check us out on Letterbox. You can always see upcoming films. Um, ooh, there's there's Gandalf and Yoshi in the hallway. Anyway, <laughs> oh, we always put upcoming films in there. So, uh, there, so ghost. So speaking of upcoming, our next movie is Ghostbusters two, nineteen eighty nine, in our Ghostbusters run. So. Peace. There you just go. transitioned. I did. Yeah, I did. Okay. That was solid. I know. On that, that was, note, that was a, like a nine out of ten. Right? No, that was like a fifteen out of ten compared to our average. <laughs> that was stellar. Stellar yeah. transition. And on that wonderful and amazing note, that um, fabulous note. <laughs> that's it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, BooTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It's only $5 to sign up, cheaper than your anniversary dinner after your partner dies follow us on social media <laughs> facebook and instagram at horror nerds at church and twitter at h-n-a-c-p-o-d for all the latest updates about upcoming films news and other announcements until next time keep seeing dead people <laughs> okay i will <laughs> i don't know <laughs>
I love it. I want to really be that one in there for a minute. Okay.